We're going to see Jacob on a journey of grace this morning. On this journey, God is going to give Jacob a great big blessing that he certainly does not deserve. That's grace. But he's also going to withhold the punishment that he does deserve. That's mercy. We serve a gracious and a merciful God. We're going to see Jacob's venture that turns out to be an adventure for him, a divine vision that God gives him, God's voice speaking to him out of heaven, and then a vow that Jacob makes. We come this morning to the third generation after Abraham. This would be Abraham's grandson, Jacob. You remember that God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees and told him to go to a land that he would show him, and he would give him that land. And he would build, through Abraham and his descendants, a great and mighty nation. But we saw one problem. Sarah, Abraham's wife, Sarah at that time, was barren. And she couldn't have children. And Abraham prayed and they sought the Lord and he tried a few other things that didn't work out so well. But finally, when Abraham was 100 years old, the promised heir was born, Isaac. And then you remember not too long ago, Eliezer the servant went to get a wife for Isaac from among relatives who had a belief in Jehovah. And uh, Rebekah, came back to marry Isaac, but there was a little problem. She also was barren. But after 19 years, in answer to Isaac's prayer, she learns that she is pregnant with twins. And the Lord tells her that the elder will serve the younger, these two boys that will be born. It doesn't look like we're making much progress in the drama of redemption getting to a mighty nation. But with Jacob, it's going to be a little different. He will have 12 sons who will become the 12 tribes of Israel, and later his name will be changed to Israel. Now, as we consider Jacob, we mentioned something about him and his character in several of our lessons. But when the boys were born... Jacob was grasping his brother's heel. You know how babies will latch on to your finger? Well, he latched on to his brother's heel. And his name, Jacob in Hebrew, means something like heel gripper. And by extension, you might say one who trips another by the heel. Suppose you were running in a race and you were able to trip the guy in front of you by grabbing his heel and you were able to take his place as you passed him up as he stumbled, you might say you would have supplanted him in the race. And that's what Jacob's name in that day came to mean, supplanter. And he certainly overtook his brother Esau and tripped him up in the matter of the blessing and in the matter of the birthright even before that. Esau was bitter now, even to the point of murder. Why would a just God have anything to do with a liar and a cheat like Jacob? He lied to his dad. His dad said, are you Esau? 
And Jacob said, I sure am. Here, let me get a little closer. You can get a little whiff of this. He probably had on some of Esau's camos and, you know, a hunter and a fisherman and not into washing and ironing. And I imagine you could tell when Esau was coming on board there. And his dad said, yeah, yeah, you must be Esau. Don't forget the old spice. So he lied flat out. And then, of course, he stole his brother's uh, birthright. Now, on Jacob's behalf, we could say that his brother did despise the birthright. And it had been predicted even before the children were born that the elder would serve the younger. But God never uses lying and fraud to accomplish his will. So how could God bless a guy like this? In verse 1 of our passage, his dad blesses him as he goes out the door. And shortly thereafter, the Lord blesses him and it is a big blessing. Well, the Lord blesses him the same way he blesses us. Not the same blessing. But what I mean is that God continues to show his grace to us even though we have sinned and we have done wrong things. Now you might say, well, I'm, wait a minute, I know I'm a sinner, but I'm not that kind of liar, go around cheating people and all that sort of thing. Well, that's true. But we need to be reminded of several things here. Luke 18. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. That's interesting. Prayed with himself. God, I thank you. I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as a tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, that's the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The tax collector was on a journey of grace. And then in James chapter 2, verse 10, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. Now, you might do something that wouldn't be as bad in the eyes of the world as someone else, but yet you would be guilty of breaking God's law. So God shows mercy and grace to all of us. Why did his dad bless him? We get further insight to that answer from the Old Testament his father, and then his heavenly father. Now, we have talked about this passage before, but I think it's important enough for us to consider again. Exodus thirty-three nineteen. God is speaking. God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, Moses, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And he goes on to say, so then it does not depend on man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. Interesting passage. God chose to show mercy to Jacob despite his sin. 
And he chooses to show mercy to you and to me despite our sin. He will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. And he will have compassion on whom he will have compassion. Now, there is a New Testament verse that explains this passage. And Paul gives it to us in Romans 9 and beginning in verse 10. Not only this, but when Rebekah had also conceived by one man, even our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau I have hated. Now, Paul, writing in Romans, anticipates the typical response to that last statement. What shall we say then? Is there any unrighteousness or injustice with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So, it doesn't depend on man who's running the race. It depends on God who has the mercy. He will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. Now you say, now wait a minute. Does that mean that Isaac is going to get away with what he did? And you and I can get away with whatever wrongdoing we may have been engaged in? Well, no. People don't get away with things with God. God shows mercy. God gives him a blessing graciously. But guess where Jacob is headed? Jacob, the schemer, is heading over to the house of Laban, the cheater. And this guy is a much more accomplished cheater than was Jacob. In fact, Jacob complained later on in Genesis that Laban had changed his wages ten times, cheated him ten times. And more than that, he cheated the guy out of his bride on his wedding day. Can you imagine? Well, what goes around comes around, we say. Uh, It doesn't always work out the way we think it would, but a just God, who is also a merciful God, makes certain that things turn out exactly as they should. And that's the reason we can have confidence when he says that for believers, all things are going to work together for good. So here is Jacob, this important man in God's drama of redemption. And later on, we're going to see that he is learning a good bit more than he knew, even in today's lesson. We're looking now at his venture. Jacob's parents, Isaac and Rebekah, experienced some very difficult times in their family life. Back in Genesis 26, when Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, and Basimeth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. Now, I can tell you, these girls had very corrupt morals, and their worship was idolatrous. And that was a rough thing for Isaac and Rebekah. They brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Finally, Rebekah was fed up. And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life. 
because of the daughters of Heth. Heth was the second son of Canaan and the ancestor of the Hittite nation. Well, if mama ain't happy, we know the rest of we? And this revelation from mama got some action. And Jacob found himself packing up to head north and then east from Beersheba to Padanaram. Again, we see the deficiencies of Isaac's parenting program. You remember he had his favorite son, Esau, but he also neglected to find a godly wife for either one of his sons. Now, we don't do it exactly that way in our culture today, but you remember Abraham was careful to find a godly woman, Rebekah, for Isaac. Somehow Isaac uh, let that slip from his thinking at this time. Now we're picking up a little bit later, Genesis 27. The words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran. It sounds like he's 18 years old, but we're going to see he's a little older than that at this time. Genesis 28, our passage. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Notice that he charged him here with full patriarchal authority. Here's what you've got to do. And Jacob does it. Arise, go to Pedanerim, to the house of Bethuel, your father, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Just before he was leaving, in verse 4, if you're in chapter 28, Isaac asked God to give Jacob the blessing of Abraham. And that included the messianic connotations that all the people of the world were going to be blessed through this family of which Jacob is a part. So in chapter 27, verse 44, Rebekah anticipated that he would be gone just for a few days until Isaac's, until Esau's anger toward Isaac had calmed down. But it turned out that he was gone over 20 years. Sometimes God has a different plan than the one we have. Look in verse 5. We see Jacob departing from his home, headed on a long journey. If you add up all the numbers from various references, you'll see he's about 77 years old at this time. Now, I know what you're thinking. This guy's too old to be out looking for a wife. But he lived to be 147. So in terms of life expectancy today, he would only be 40-something. And if he married the woman when he was 77 years old, he would have 70 years to be with her if she survived until her 70th wedding anniversary. So it's still a little bit different back then, but yet the same things going on in the hearts of the people. So we begin his 500-mile journey, and he probably was traveling along at a leisurely pace because he remembered Isaac, Uh, Esau was going to kill him after the grieving for his dad was completed. So his dad hadn't even died yet and and does not die for a long time. 
So he came to a place, and the scripture that we read said he lighted upon this certain location called Bethel. Now we know from scripture that you don't just light upon something. Uh, God is guiding him and governing where he will go and what will happen to him. And he comes to the same place that over a hundred years before his grandfather Abraham had worshipped the Lord. I don't know if it was right on the same spot, but it's right in that same area of Bethel. Here's Jacob. He's an exile from home. He's a weary man. He's a solitary figure in a lonely place. He is a guilty man. He is a fugitive from his brother. He's an injured man. Remember, his dad's favorite was Esau. He's out on a barren mountainside in a forlorn country. So he takes a stone, he kind of pushes a stone where he wants it that he can lean back and rest against, and then he falls asleep. I guess as a hardy shepherd, he would have been accustomed to spending the night out in God's creation. But here comes the first step in Jacob's divine seminary training. God is getting ready to teach him some things. This is the first of seven appearances of God to Jacob throughout his lifetime. God gives to his beloved even as they sleep. So now we have a divine vision. And while he slept, amazingly, he had a dream. And in his dream, he had a vision of a ladder. Some translations say a staircase. And ascending and descending on the ladder of the staircase, there were angels. And then the Lord was standing at the top of the ladder and is going to speak to Jacob. Have you ever sung, We Are Climbing Jacob's Ladder? Well, this is where it comes from. So Jacob, alone in this desolate wilderness place, gives us a perfect illustration of a lost soul. Now, you know lost souls that are busy in the crowd and at the party and celebrating and having a good time, but if they really knew the condition of their soul, they would realize that they're more like Jacob. He's all alone. He's out in the darkness. He's far away from his father's house. He's fleeing for his life. He's burdened with his sin. And he is completely unaware of the nearness of God and God's desire to save him and to bless him. Now, the New Testament gives us some further commentary on the scene of Jacob's ladder. John 1 and verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no God. He couldn't have said that of Jacob. But Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You shall see greater things than these. And now verse 51. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, You shall see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. 
And I think we have a picture here of Christ as the ladder reaching between heaven and earth. The only ladder reaching between heaven and earth. John 17, 3. And this is eternal life that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Now wouldn't it be something to have been in church all your life and never have gotten on the ladder? We don't want that. 1 Corinthians 3.11 For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And of course, a familiar verse in John 14.6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one gets to heaven except through Christ irregardless of what may be said in our modern egalitarian culture. Jesus is the only way to heaven. And it's more than just believing in him if you live. Now, if you're on your deathbed and you believe in Christ, then that would be all you have to do. But if you live, there's something more. First John 2, 6. The one who says he abides in him, you might say who believes in him, ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Now, we're not going to be walking perfectly because there are going to be some things trying to grab us by the heel, the world, the old flesh, and the devil. But through the power that Christ supplies through his Spirit, we do have the ability to do a much better walk than we once did. Well, what would that walk look like? Philippians 2. How did Christ live? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's a very familiar passage, but it's a good description of what Christ is like and what we need to be like, looking not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others, having the attitude of Christ. Now, I want to put something on the PowerPoint here, a statement that was made by Charles Spurgeon. And I want to ask you, as you read the statement, do you agree with what he is saying? Here it is. An unchanged life is the mark of an unchanged heart. And an unchanged heart is a sign of an unregenerate life. What is an unregenerate life? One in which the Spirit of Christ does not dwell. A non-Christian. It might be a very religious person. It might be someone who is camped out down at the base of the ladder all his life 
but he never got on the ladder. We want to be certain, even today, that we're on the ladder. Jacob thought he was out in a desolate wasteland, but actually he was at the gateway to heaven. The last verse of that John 1 passage that we read, Truly, truly, I say to you, you shall see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That verse is similar to a description of the Messiah in a night vision given to Daniel. Daniel 7.13 I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. That's all people and nations and languages, not just Saxon or Caucasian people. This kingdom is going to the whole world, and he's going to rule one day over the entire world. He rules over the entire world now, but everyone will know about it one day as every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Christ is the ladder, and the only ladder between heaven and earth for all the people on the earth. That's the reason we have an urgency in our missionary message, because we've got to show people the ladder, people who are walking in darkness. Well, God's voice speaks to Jacob in this vision, and he tells him some specific promises. He says he will give to Jacob the land. His descendants will be as the dust of the earth. The earth will be blessed through him. He will be with Jacob and keep him. Wherever he goes, God will bring him back again to the land and never leave him. Now, when Jacob awakens, he realizes something that he was not aware of before. In verse 16, he realized that the Lord was in this place, but the Lord had been there all along and had been with him every step of his journey since he left Beersheba. It's the same with us, isn't it? Sometimes we have a strong sense of the Lord's like, boy, we're right in the Lord's will. Everything is going well. But other times it's like, where is the Lord when I need him? But he's right there with us, even carrying us through some difficult times. We know that God is close to us because of Psalm 139 that we've talked about in our study with Psalms. What did Jacob do when he arose early the next morning in verses 18, 19, and 20? He took the stone that he had used for a pillow and he set it up as a pillar. Now that would be a monument to the vision that he had seen. And then he poured oil on the top of this pillar of stone to consecrate it as a memorial to the mercy of God that he had been shown. I suppose he would have offered an animal as a sacrifice if he had had one, but all he had was the oil, so he offered a drink offering. The instructions for all that hadn't been given, but we see that Abraham, his grandfather, knows about the sacrifice. Then number two, he called the name of the place Bethel. 
house of God. We call it Bethel. And then he made a vow. What did he say in his vow? Look in verses 20 and 21. You notice that uh, in your translation, there may be some ifs. If you will do this, Lord, if you will do this. Well, there are two possibilities. One might be Jacob is bargaining with God. Do you ever do that? God, if you'll just do this, then I will do this. Or it could be that he's just expressing his faith for what God has already done for him. I think it's probably a little bit of both because Jacob is accustomed to bargaining. I mean, that's what you did in that culture. And he has bargained before with his brother and then uh, as he fooled his dad. So I think it might be a little bit of that. There's still enough of the old self in him. Scheming was his modus operandi. He tried to scheme his way into God's blessing, but in chapter 32, when we get there, scheming days are over. He has to meet Esau again, and there won't be any more scheming on Jacob's part. So Jacob wanted God to do three things for him. He wanted him to be with him and keep him on his journey, to give him food to eat and clothing to wear, to return him to his father's house in peace and safety. And Jacob did return to his father's house in peace. Now, we might think of a lot more things that we could pray about if we were praying. But don't remember, don't forget, we have the rest of the scripture that helps us to understand how to pray. We have Christ praying for us. We have the Holy Spirit offering intercession in words that we couldn't even speak. And then uh, Jacob's promise in return, if God will do these things that the Lord would be his God, that the stone he set up would be God's house, a holy place of sacrifice, and that he would give a tenth of everything back to God, acknowledging that everything belonged to God. Now, we need to notice here that God's promises to Jacob were not conditional on his giving a tenth or his doing anything else. He paid the tithe, I think, for the same reason that some of us would pay the tithe. He wanted to show his love and gratitude toward God for God's amazing grace and mercy in his life. Tithing is a testimony that all of our material goods are under God's control like everything else is. Keep in mind that the law had not yet been given. This is just something that they decided to do to show their gratitude to God. God's mercy and grace were poured out on Jacob during his journey. Just like the prodigal son, the unjust steward in Luke 15, like God's grace was poured out upon Paul when he was Saul, persecuting Christians, and God's grace was poured out upon Peter when he denied Christ. And just like God's grace is poured out upon you and upon me, God restrained Esau from killing his brother when he was mad enough to do so. God spoke to Jacob in a dream and gave him a tremendous blessing. Now we have some advice to climbers. Advice to climbers. Be certain that you are climbing on the right ladder. There is a corporate ladder of worldly success. There is a ladder of false religion. Don't get on that one. 
and there is a ladder of unfulfilled desire where we're thinking if I if I can just get higher up the ladder my desires will be satisfied keep in mind that when checkout time comes it's too late to change ladders at that point acts 412 is just one ladder and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men whereby we must be saved. Number two, the ground is a good place to begin, but a poor place to start. We start off on the ground, but we don't want to stay on the ground. First John 5.13 These things I have written to you, believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. That would be the evidence that you really believe. Many people have an intellectual belief in Christ, but then it doesn't affect their lifestyle, which indicates that it hadn't affected their heart, which would be an indication that they might be on thin ice. They need to give themselves a little inspection, do a little personal inventory. And then 1 Peter 2 Verse 2, as newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So we don't want to stay on the ground. Ground is a good place, but we start there. You have to begin on the first rung and slowly climb up the ladder one step at a time. Nobody runs up a ladder. You don't get to the top in one mighty bound. It's going to be a long climb unless the Lord calls you home early. There's no one-and-done, cure-all situation, solution to all of life's struggles. We would call this progressive sanctification. We're justified completely in Christ. Our guilt is removed. But now begins that process of becoming more like Him and less like the old self. Paul talks about that to the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1. Finally, brethren, finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, to abound more and more in these things that we know God has given us by which to govern our lives. Now, I've got another possibility for you. Read this from John Newton, the slave trader, and see if that fits what you're thinking about yourself. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by God's grace, I am what I am. Well, we don't want to remain babies in Christ, as the writer of Hebrews says. We can't give you solid meat. You should have some solid food by now, but you're still drinking the milk. Milk is better than nothing, obviously. But we want to grow in the Lord, climbing up the ladder. Isaiah tells us it's going to be precept upon precept. It's going to be line upon line. That's the way children learn. That's the way we nurture them in the admonition and nurture of the Lord. Number four, you'll need both hands to take a firm grip on the ladder. 
Don't be reaching out here somewhere to do something. Both hands and one foot. It's the three point of contact climb. That's what we're looking for. We want to be stable in the faith. Some verses, Proverbs 4.13, Take firm hold of instruction. Do not let go, young people. Keep her instruction, for she is your life. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 Test all things, hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now that test doesn't have to be a personal experience. Talk to some people who have tried out some things. Solomon tried out everything. And you can read about it in the book of Ecclesiastes. Talk to moms and dads and others who can tell you about some things that you don't have to test for yourselves. 2 Thessalonians 2.15 Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Sometimes we're ready to get rid of traditions. We don't want to be traditionalists. But if the tradition is good, We might want to hang on to it. Revelation 3.11 Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Number five, don't look down. You become dizzy when you see all the world has to offer you. In fact, when you get with a bunch of folks who are functioning in the world, and you're going to the world's places and the world's entertainment, it can be dazzling. So be careful. Keep your eyes where they need to be. Colossians 3, 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Now he's not saying walk around in a daze of some sort. He's saying keep in mind the mission here on earth. I'm to take what's going on here on earth and move it toward what's going on in heaven with people, things, circumstances, however I may. Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And of course, he's up at the top of the ladder. He's with us here, but he's looking down on us to help us. Number six, listen to the encouraging words from God at the top. Don't be deterred by others who are calling you a fanatic, a Pharisee, or a fool Listen to what God is saying. Where can you find it? Right in the Scriptures. Isaiah 41.10, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee by the right hand of my righteousness. In that John 15 verse that Beecher read, you remember he says, He abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit. We want to be fruitful. God has given us many encouraging words and promises. We want to claim them. Last one. When the winds of adversity begin to blow, hang on to the ladder. If you've got a firm grip, you can hang on tightly. Remember that God is near and there are ministering spirits close by, we're told in Scripture. Psalm 34, 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Psalm 138, 7, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hands against the wrath of my enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. That fits Jacob's life, doesn't it? And it fits ours as well. Hebrews 1, 13, 
But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? It's a journey of grace. What about you this morning? Have you truly begun your journey? And are you making any progress climbing up the ladder? There are all kinds of means of grace that God gives us. He gives us Bible studies. He gives us things we can listen to on the radio or Internet. He gives us books to read. He gives us His Word. He gives us His divine grace to help us incorporate those things into our lives. If you're here this morning and you're not sure that you're on the ladder, that you're not sure that you're walking with the Lord, that He is with you, then this would be a good time to confess your sin and acknowledge your need for forgiveness and place your faith and confidence in Him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for this clear picture way back in the Old Testament of one who was obviously sinful but who experienced Your grace in his life and Your mercy. And Lord, how we praise You today for Your mercy in our lives, that we're not in hell right now, that we're not under Your condemnation. But according to Your grace and Your mercy upon us, You have revealed to us the Lord Jesus Christ, the ladder by which we can make it to heaven. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming down to this earth, leaving your home in heaven, taking the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness with all of the frailties and pain and suffering. But thank you that you did that for us so we could see what God is like and so we could emulate your attitude and behavior on this earth through the power of your Spirit through your grace poured out upon us. Lord, help us not to be discouraged today. Help us to know that you're very near. You're with us. Uh, You have your angels that you send as ministering spirits. And I ask, Lord, if there is someone here today who needs to come to Christ in repentance and true saving faith, that you would move their hearts to do so right now. And we pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen.